Easter is God declaring victory over the power of death. That, that's, that's primarily what Easter is today. It's, it's God declaring victory over the power of death. The resurrection is God's definitive no to death and his definitive yes to life. We have reason to hope this morning because Jesus is alive and yet our hope is not without pain. Our hope that we have in the resurrection, our hope that we have in Jesus is not about ignoring reality. It's not pretending that everything is fine in this life. In fact, we're very aware this morning that there are several hospitals all around the Des Moines Metro where today there is still lots of suffering going on, still lots of pain, still lots of grief, still lots of mourning. And we have to recognize, number two, that even though death remains, it has been defeated. Morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. Man, is anybody excited to be in church this morning? Anybody excited to be in church for a celebration that is only fit for a risen king? Come on, it's good to be together today. Uh, we are gathering today to declare with everything inside of us that the tomb is empty, that death is defeated, that Jesus is alive. Come on, that's really good news today. We are joining together with Christians literally all over the world in this moment to proclaim and declare that 2,000 years ago, Jesus broke the grave, that death could not hold him down, and that yes, he is in fact risen from the dead. Come on, is anybody excited to be in church this morning? Come on. Hey, I wanna welcome uh, everybody here today. If you're a guest uh, with us for the first time, my name is Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here at New Point Church, and uh, just honored, humbled that you'd spend your Easter Sunday with us. And, uh, my hope is just that you'd feel so welcomed here today. Hey, would you all just take a quick second, turn to somebody next to you and just say, hey, is that a new Easter shirt you got on? Would you just, would you do that quick? You wearing some new, you got a new fit, you got a new fit on? Just do that quick. Come on. Hey, as, uh, as many of you know, uh, as many of you know, I grew up in church. Uh, I was a pastor's kid, grew up going to church on uh, Easter every year. I don't think I've missed uh, church on Easter in, in 40 years. Uh, one of the things I remember the most about going to church uh, on Easter every year is that you had, you had to get new clothes, and those clothes had to blind you. You know what I'm talking about? As bright as can be, all those pastels, and some of you are keeping the tradition alive and well today. It looks good in here. Looks really good in here. Hey, I have a, a story that I heard recently I want to tell you about. It's a story about a man who lived in Minnesota, and uh, it was nearing springtime. He lived in the city, and the city was covered in snow. Now, here in Iowa, we're pretty familiar with snow. And we know that when snow first falls in early December around Christmas time, that it can be beautiful, that it can even put you in a festive mood. But how many of y'all know that come March and April, if there's still snow on the ground, it is no longer festive, and it no longer produces joy and happiness whatsoever. Am I right? So this particular man, he was walking his dog uh, in, in Minnesota, and the streets were covered in snow, and the snow was beginning to melt because it's springtime and the temperatures are rising, and he looks down and he sees a tulip protruding out of the snow. He uh, looks around, there's no other flower anywhere doing this. Uh, he sees this one tulip protruding out of the snow, bursting forth out of the snow. 
And he said that he was so surprised to see this. It just like, it like didn't fit, you know, with all the snow around this one flower kind of popping up. And he said it was as if this, this flower was saying, I don't want to wait for the snow to melt. I want to show the world my colors. I want to show the world my fragrance. Whether anyone or any other flower is doing this, I don't care. I'm going to burst forth. And to this man, it was a profound moment. It was, to him, it was as if this flower was announcing to the world that although there is still snow on the ground, although it is still cold, and although there is no other flower around me, springtime is here. Springtime is here. And what I love about this story is that it reminds me so much of Easter. It reminds me of Easter because although there is still snow on the ground, so to speak, although there is still pain in our world, Easter reminds us that springtime is here, that the resurrection has happened, that Jesus is alive, and that on that very first Easter 2,000 years ago, he was that first tulip that was bursting forth into newness of life. And that's really good news here today because he is risen, we can have hope. Because he is risen, we can have life. Because he is risen, we can have joy even in the midst of so much pain and suffering that is going on in many of us here today and that is certainly going on in the world around us right now. You know, one of my favorite Easter quotes is from C.S. Lewis. And he says, Easter is death working backwards. Easter is death working backwards. And what he really means here is what he's getting at is that Instead of going from life to eventual death, you can go from death, that which is broken and not working, that which is dying or in decay, and you can go from what is dead back to life. Easter allows us to, to really be able to say those words of that famous hymn, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see the resurrection allows us to go from lost to found, from death to life. And one of my favorite scriptures to look at on Easter is Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Really famous this time of year especially. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Have you ever considered how much power it would have to take to raise a dead person out of their grave? Have you ever considered how much power it would have to take to raise a dead person out of their grave? And let me just tell you today that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what this verse means, that the amount of power that it would have taken to get Jesus out of the grave wasn't just a one-time thing. In other words, the power to resurrect Jesus was not just for Jesus. Because that very same power that raised him from the dead, it lives in you. Like what's the point in you and I having that very same power inside of us if it was a one-time thing, if it was only for Jesus? The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And the best way to apply this verse is to think of an area of, an area of your life that is experiencing some sort of death something that isn't working right, something that might be broken, an area of your life that's on the brink of death or perhaps already dead, or an area of your life where you know it would take a miracle. So look at the second half of this verse. It says, and just as, everybody say just as. 
just as. This means the same way. So just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. In the same way God raised Christ Jesus, he will raise you. He will raise me. He will give life to you. He will give life to whatever it is in you that is experiencing your death. So so this same resurrection power, it's available for your marriage. It's available for your emotions. It's available for your finances. It's available for your sin. It's most certainly available for your soul. It's good news today. And so the resurrection is how we can go from lost to found, from death to life. And in Luke 24, verses 1 through 7, we see the, the, the scene of Resurrection Sunday. We see the famous story here in Luke's gospel. and It says, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. These are angels, by the way. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Can I get a good amen, everybody? On that first Easter morning, Jesus was that tulip bursting forth into newness of life. And when we talk about Easter together, when we come together to celebrate Easter as, as a family, we have to remember a few things. Number one, we have to remember that Easter is God declaring victory over the power of death. That, that's, that's primarily what Easter is today. It's, it's God declaring victory over the power of death. The resurrection is God's definitive no to death and his definitive yes to life. We have reason to hope this morning because Jesus is alive and yet our hope is not without pain. Our hope that we have in the resurrection, our hope that we have in Jesus is not about ignoring reality. It's not pretending that everything is fine in this life. In fact, we're very aware this morning that there are several hospitals all around the Des Moines metro where today there is still lots of suffering going on, still lots of pain, still lots of grief, still lots of mourning. And we have to recognize, number two, that even though death remains, it has been defeated. That even though death remains, it has been defeated. And here's why. Here, here's just a, a really interesting thought for me to give you. It's really important to understand. We are both an already and not yet people. Scripture teaches us this, that we are and already but not yet people. What this, what this means is that Jesus has already, ri already risen. Jesus has already risen, but the fullness of the kingdom of God has not come yet. And so we have to hold on to this tension that even though death remains, it has been defeated. So you know on, on typical Easter Sundays, here's what happens. You know, we, we pack churches we wear our best outfits. It's pretty festive. We have Easter brunch or some really good food at least afterwards. I'm going to be grilling some excellent steaks this afternoon. But that first Easter morning was nothing like this. The first Easter morning, there was nothing festive about that day. The first Easter was surrounded by pain. It was surrounded by despair, disappointment. It was surrounded by a sense of hopelessness. And some of us here this morning may be feeling these same emotions 
You might be dressed up, but you're feeling down. And let me encourage you because it is in that space of pain and that space of disappointment in that space of suffering and hopelessness where Jesus bursts forth into our lives and declares springtime is here. I want to show this to you in John's gospel in John chapter 20, verse 11. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? For she thought, she was, she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gave them his message. And so this is an incredible story that we read in John's gospel where Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. And I want you to consider the significance of this story this morning. Because as a first century woman, Mary Magdalene would have been on the fringes of society. On top of that, like that's already like a difficult situation for her to be in, but on top of that, she's had some very, very troubling things about her past. The Bible tells us that at one point she had seven demons cast out of her. Now, however you choose to understand that, you must understand that there was some deep hurt and trauma that Mary Magdalene had experienced in her life. She'd gone through some pretty difficult things. But as many of you already know, her story does not end there. It doesn't just end at her deliverance. Mary would meet Jesus and he would offer grace and mercy to her. He would change her life so much to the point that Mary's only next logical step was to completely and literally follow Jesus. Think about this for a minute. Perhaps for the first time in her life, Jesus finally made Mary feel like she belonged. Perhaps the first time in her life, she finally had a place to belong. And, and now with this background, kind of come back to the story in John 20, and on the morning of the first Easter, Jesus is dead and Mary is there at the tomb and she's weeping and her hopes and her dreams are gone to the point that she is caught in deep, deep, deep sorrow. How many of y'all know that sorrow is not easy? Sorrow can make us feel like we are trapped, that joy will never come back in our lives, that happiness is an illusion never to be attained again. And some of you know what it's like to be filled with sorrow. The sorrow of a marriage that didn't work out, the sorrow of a death of a loved one, the sorrow of economic disruption and disorientation, the sorrow of your dreams fulfilled in the way, not being fulfilled in the ways that you longed for them to be fulfilled. And many of us in this room know what it's like to feel sorrow, and so does Mary Magdalene. In this story, the Bible tells us she is near the tomb and she's weeping. When Jesus shows up and asks her a very, very simple question, he says, 
Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And that's really the question that Jesus asks all of us, isn't it? Who is it that you're looking for? This question he asks to Mary acknowledges that we are all searching for something, that we are all searching for someone. Who are you looking for? Who are you searching for? When Jesus asks Mary this question, she assumes that he's just the gardener. She doesn't recognize that the one that she is looking for is standing there in front of her. But in verse 16, Jesus would say something to Mary that would change her life. Look at this thought with me. Jesus says Mary's name. He says Mary's name. He says, he says Mary. And what I think is interesting here is that Jesus says her name. Why does he say her name? He says her name because he knows her name. Like, and to know her name is to know her past. To know her name is to know her sketchy past, her sinful past. He knows everything there is to know about Mary, and yet he still calls her by name. He reveals himself to her there in the garden. And here's what I want you to catch this morning. Easter reminds us that Jesus has called us all by name. It's so much of the reason for why Easter even matters to us, so much of the reason for why we gather this morning and invite our friends and our family and tell people that Jesus is risen because we understand that Jesus has called us all by name. This is so much of the reason for why this is more than just a celebration and more than just a holiday today. Easter's a reminder that Jesus has called us all by name. And to call us all by name means that he knows very well all of our sin and all of our past and all of our disappointment and all of our sorrow, and yet he still calls us all by name. How many of y'all know that in life, it's a pretty good feeling when someone knows you by name? It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you made an impression on them or that you mattered to them. But on the other hand, how many of you know what it's like when someone forgets your name? You ever had that experience? You ever had to introduce yourself on more than one occasion to the same person? You know, uh, repeatedly, you know, they're asking you, okay, so like, what was your name again? I, I know you, you told me, but uh, uh, can you remind me? You ever had that experience? It can feel pretty awkward, right? Like, uh, nothing, nothing like making you feel like you don't really matter. It can make you feel like you're just a number, like you were never important for them to remember you. I, I remember um, when I first started dating Lindsay, before obviously we were married, in the early days, she would bring me around her family and they struggled to remember my name. Um, I don't know if you, you remember that. They would, uh, call, they would call me by a different name like all the time and I was like, all right, clearly you want someone else to be here <laughs> other, other than me, right? Uh, just so happened to be the name of of, of, of a different guy that she had dated. And so I was like, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, not, not the one you guys want around here. So I can remember as a pastor on more than one occasion praying for people and forgetting their name, starting to pray for them and being like, dear Jesus, would you just be with brother, my brother here, my sister, whatever, just, and, and just so embarrassing, you know, so embarrassing. Along those same lines, have you ever had a moment in your life where you felt lost in a crowd? Maybe you were literally in a crowded room and you had that feeling that no one would notice if you left. 
Or maybe you worked for like a really big company and you had that feeling that you really didn't matter to them and no one would miss you if you left. I remember 20 years ago, first time I ever went to New York, I was standing in Times Square on the corner there and I remember it was the first time in my life where I had that overwhelming feeling of insignificance just come over me. Like I don't really, I felt like I don't really matter all that much. Like I'd never been in a, in, in a place where I was surrounded by so many people. It was the first time in my life that I that I'd really understood that I'm one in billions. And I was just like overwhelmed. Like, does my life even, even matter? Would even, anyone even notice if I just left? Look at this thought with me. The story of Easter reminds us that even with the billions of people in this world, Jesus knows us by name, calls us by name, and searches for us by name. In fact, one of the great parables of Jesus that goes along with the Easter story is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the, it's the iconic parable of the lost sheep. And it says this in verse three, it says, so Jesus told them this story, if a man has a 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. This is an awesome parable. One that that I'm sure most of us have probably heard or at least know some bits and pieces of it. And I was Reading this this week, and, and, and something just, just jumped out to me that, that I hadn't really thought of before, I started to wonder, like, how well does a shepherd have to know his flock to be able to not only notice that one is missing, but which one is missing? Like, how, how well does the shepherd have to understand his flock, know his flock, to not only know that one is missing, but which one? This is a shepherd that knows his flock by name, that is willing to leave the majority, to find the one who was lost. Why? Because that one that is lost matters to him. He knows that it's missing. He knows which one is missing. It's special to him, and the, the one that is lost is too important to lose. And so, you know, we look at this story, and oftentimes we can think to ourselves, how, how significant is one sheep? You still have 99. We think, like, how could this shepherd risk so much for one sheep? You know, I, I, I read this and I think, man, like, shouldn't the law of averages come into play here at some point? Isn't it perfectly understandable for the shepherd to say something like, well, you know, you win some, you lose some? Like, why one? You know, and how well do you have to know at your flock? Like, if you had 100 sheep and you lose one, doesn't it still look like you have 100? Like, is it really noticeable that you've lost one? It still looks pretty much the same. The shepherd has to know his flock so well to know not just that one is gone, but which one is gone. And I believe in this moment, you know, that, that what I want you to understand is that Jesus knows you by name, that he's calling you by name, and that he's searching for you by name. In fact, look at this thought with me. The story of the lost sheep reminds us of the rescue mission Jesus went through to find us. But beyond that, it reminds us that he would have gone through all of that even if it was only for one person who was lost, even if it was just for me and even if it was just for you. 
Jesus knows you by name. He's calling you by name, and he searches for you by name. And I believe in this moment for each of you in this room, he is calling you by name in spite of your past mistakes, in spite of your present situation, in spite of your future outlook. Jesus knows your name, and he calls you by name, and he leaves the 99 to find you, to find the one, because he notices that you are missing. Tim, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Just like Mary Magdalene in this story, the resurrected Jesus meets us in our sorrow by calling our name. And so much of the hope of Easter is this reminder that Jesus knows us and he calls us and he searches for us and he finds us. He calls us by name. And I think we have to understand this. I think we have to Know that you're not just one person in a world of billions. You are somebody who matters to God. You are somebody that he notices and somebody he sees, someone whose name he knows. And all of this really boils down, the significance of that boils down to this one thought that Jesus gives in John 11 as he interacts with the two sisters of Lazarus as he's in their home after their brother has died. Jesus reminds them that one day their brother will rise. To which they say, yeah, 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 we get it, we understand. Because in their faith they knew, in Judaism they knew that and believed in some sort of resurrection of the dead at the end of time, the end of the age. But what they did not realize is that Jesus was communicating something else to them in this story. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus kind of interrupts them. You can almost picture this. And he says to them, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like the resurrection isn't just at the end of time. It's not just somewhere out there. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks them the question of all questions. He asks them maybe the most important question that, they would ever be asked in their life and maybe the most important question that you will ever be asked in your life, he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that the one who really believes in him, even though they die, will continue living? will never really fully die. Do you believe this information? Do you believe that he really is the resurrection and the life? You know, my favorite scripture this time of year, one of the ones that has marked me uh, really uh, for, for a very long time is Romans chapter six, verse 23. And it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's a profound scripture because it encapsulates the gospel right here. That you and I, like, we're not good enough to get this figured out on our own. As good as we may feel we are, as moral, as ethical as we may feel, as much as we try to contribute to society, that there is in us a brokenness that we cannot fix on our own. That you and I are sinful people, whether we want to acknowledge that or not, and the sin in our life has earned for us, the paycheck that we have gotten for our sin, Paul says, is death. 
That's, our, that's the future that awaits those of us who are sinful people, who have sinned even once. And what I love about this scripture, what always gets me, and I remember when this scripture really arrested my heart because I, I, I looked at it and realized that there is a comma there in the middle of the verse. It's not a period after the wages of sin is dead. Like, like this, there's more to it. The story's not finished. Paul has more to say on the matter. He says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm here today really just to offer a free gift, an invitation to this free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you're here today, you've never accepted that free gift, you've never allowed Jesus to really become your Lord, your Savior, I want to invite you to do that here in a moment. Would everybody just stand with me here in this room? Would you bow your heads? Keep this moment reverent. And if you're here today and it's time for you to accept the free gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus, you notice that verse doesn't say that this free gift of eternal life is not in good works, it's not in being a good person, but that it's in Jesus, it's in him, it's in him alone, and today's the day to accept that free gift of eternal life. Could I just see your hand in here with every head bowed? No one's watching you. You want, to, you want to receive the free gift of salvation? It's not about your performance. It's not about you just, just trying harder. It's not about you just, just trying to stop doing this and to start doing that. But today you're saying, I want to receive the free gift of salvation. I want to go from death to life. I want to go from being lost to being found. Would you just begin to in your own words, or you could, you, could, you could even just under your breath pray this prayer after me. Why don't you, everyone just, just kind of uh, pray this prayer. If you're a believer, this is what you already believe anyway. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you completely right now. I'm at a point in my life where I'm done holding on to anything uh, that, that you want me to let go of. I surrender to you. I invite you into my life. I want you to be my Lord, my God, my King. Would you cleanse me of all of my sin? Would you remove the guilt and the punishment of death from my life? I receive your free gift of salvation right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If there's any of you here today with your heads bowed, one more second here, and you would just say, Pastor Jordan, as you're talking, you know, there are some things in my life that just aren't working out right right now. There's some discouragement. There's some things that are dead or dying or not working right, and I need some resurrection power. I need God to breathe on these situations to bring what has been dead back to life. I don't know exactly what it is, but you do, and you need like a miraculous touch of the power of God in your life. Could I just see your hand in here today? You need a miraculous touch of the power of God in your life. God, I thank you that in this room right now, there are people under the sound of my voice who are great candidates for a miracle. And I pray for the power of God to move in this room right now. I pray that the power of God would confront everything that is dead, everything that is dying, 
everything that is not working right, we breathe life in Jesus' name. I pray resurrection power, miracle after miracle after miracle in this room. Every body that is broken, every body that's not working right, every body that is afflicted by a disease or an ailment of some kind, we breathe, we speak, we declare resurrection power in this room. Every marriage or relationship that is broken or dying that's not working right, I pray resurrection power in Jesus' name. Everybody in this room, God, who is afflicted in their emotions, who's struggling with things like depression and anxiety and fear and panic and worry. God, so many of us are familiar with the crippling reality of those emotions and we speak to them right now that you will hear the word of the Lord and we declare resurrection power right now that the things that have been dead and been dying and not working right will go from death back to life right now. God, wherever the enemy has been at work, wherever he has been harassing people in this room, wherever he has been taking ground, we push back now in Jesus' name. I pray the light of Jesus would shine around us all. It would push back the kingdom of darkness in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray great encouragement into this room. Be the lifter of every head. I think that as we walk out of here, we do not have to walk out of here the same, but we can walk out of here with people who have been touched by the power of God, who have experienced our own resurrection because this same power lives in us. We give you praise today in the mighty name, the name that is unlike any other name, the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen.